We've been learning about the kingdom that he's come to bring, the good and beautiful kingdom. Been studying through Luke, and we've seen so far that his kingdom is one that values inward uh, reality over outward show, that Jesus is about the heart. It's a kingdom that uses leadership to build, bless, and, and benefit rather than to manipulate or coerce. It's a kingdom with power over demonic forces. It's a kingdom that practices uh, both margin and mission, that there's grace to rest and to pull back and to refuel, and there's grace and calling to be on mission. It's a kingdom with a calling. Today, we are going to see that it's a kingdom that invests in people, that God's good and beautiful kingdom invests in people. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. We made it through four chapters of Luke in the first four months of this year, so way to go uh, on that. And as I shared last week about the margin and mission, uh, this will be my last Sunday with you for several weeks. Uh, my family and I, we're going on sabbatical. We'll be out May and be back in June. But we've got some great things going on within the church. Uh, during that time, you'll hear some great people, including Heather, who we're going to somehow broadcast, even though she's going to be in Kurdistan. So that'll be fun. Uh, and we're going to keep going through Luke. So a little surprise there for you. Luke chapter 5, uh, we're actually going to back up to verse 42 in chapter 4 to just review where we've been. Uh, Jesus, uh, describing Jesus' life, it says, When it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. And people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So we see again Jesus' mission, his calling, was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the whole world. I mean, he's got the world in his mind. And he goes from that place of saying, this is what I'm called to do. And we talked about living with that calling last week, what I'm called to do. And he goes and he begins to preach in the synagogues of Judea. He begins to preach kind of in their traditional religious structure within the synagogue, their version of a church. But then in chapter 5, verse 1, we see that his ministry is not confined just to the synagogues. We'll see kind of a new uh, page that Luke wants us to take note of, Jesus' ministry uh, out in the streets. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them, had gone out of them, and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little, put out a little from land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished, at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, 
who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So what we see here, kind of where Luke takes us next, is Jesus is not in the synagogue. He's out in the streets. He has these people gathered around him. We've read about him healing people. We've read about him delivering people from demonic forces. We've seen him teaching, right? And so his, his fame is spreading in the region, and people are coming to him. They want to be where he's at. They want him to heal them or heal their brother or their cousin to deliver their mom or deliver their aunt or deliver their uncle or whoever it may be. They're wanting to be around Jesus, right? And so his message is is like not confined just to the synagogue, but now he's out by the lake of Gennesaret. Little background on this, right? If you think uh, without electronic amplification like I have here, If you've got a crowd pressing around you and you want to speak to them, the acoustics around a lake are kind of like a natural amphitheater. So that's the scene where this story, where this lesson, where this aspect of the kingdom takes place. This is very important for us to note. It's very important for us to know that the ministry and the power and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus is not confined only to the synagogue. It's not confined only to when people of God gather together in a nice little church, you know, where we're here and we kind of get built up. It's not confined just to those places. But it's so good, it's so beautiful, it's so vast, it's so powerful that it's going to uh, fill the whole world. It can't be contained in one space, but it's going to spill out everywhere that Jesus goes. Why is this important? Well, uh, uh, a number of years ago, six or seven years ago, uh, Kanye West and Jay-Z came out with a song. The song was entitled, There's No Church in the Wild. And what do they mean by that? They're saying that in the wild, in, in the streets, in the normal life, for real people with real problems, real powers, real forces, real things going on, man, is there a church that actually works there? Like church, religion, Prayer, all that stuff, it works fine if you're in a nice place in the world, if you live in a nice suburb with no real problems, no real issues going on. You kind of go into a little sacred space and you say some prayers and you kind of feel better. But out in the real world, out on the streets, out in your job, out in your marriage, out in your family where there are real problems and there's real pain and there's real issues that people are working through, there's real loss right? That does Jesus work there? Apparently, they don't think so. I think that's a thought we've all had, right? It's not like, oh, look at them. How could they think that? I think that is a question that we've all had. This past week, GQ magazine, they put together a little article about the 40 most overrated books of all time that you don't need to read even though everyone tells you you need to read them. One of the books they included was the Bible. Now, maybe, no, hold on. Maybe they did this, right, to get that response, or sorry, not 40, 21, to get response. Like, so people click in, and, you know, they sell ads and whatever. But I think that's a genuine question, too. They said, you know, this is overrated. It's outdated. It's passe. It's kind of for yesteryear. You don't need to read it. It's not about real life where we live today, right? 
Again, common question. I remember uh, as a freshman, I was a new follower of Jesus. I was buddies with a couple guys who lived uh, just across the suite from me. They were on the soccer team. They were really good athletes, and I would hang out with them. And I remember we were going, very specific memory, I had just started to follow Jesus. I'm going with them to a meal, and we walked by a campus Bible study that was happening in one of the, the rooms in our dorm. And their comment was, man, I'm never going to one of those things again. I went to those in high school, but the only reason I would go now to one of those is to meet a girl, right? I, I, that, I just, that's, that's high school. That's yesteryear. That's, we we kind of got more things, right? For them, the good life, the good and beautiful life was found in scoring on the soccer field and developing relationships with females, and that was what they were centered on. So I don't this stuff doesn't work to give me the real good life, right? They were going to leave it behind. You've probably had that thought too. Like Jesus works nice on Sunday. He works nice when Jeremy and the worship team sing that song. It makes me feel good. gives me some encouragement. But in my marriage, I don't know that that's the real way things work. On my campus, at my school, yeah, maybe that worked in high school or Maybe that worked in junior high. Maybe when I was a kid, I kind of believed that stuff. But is that the way that a real fruitful life happens in the real world, in college? Is this good and beautiful news for my fraternity or sorority? At my job, when my paycheck is on the line and my commission is on the line and my income is on the line, is this a good and beautiful kingdom there? I don't know. We've all had that question, right? So Luke is intentional in taking us not to the synagogue, but to the streets. He's taking us not in the places that we normally think about. Well, yeah, I guess Jesus is good news. There's some nice songs that we sing. No, he's taking us into the real world with real people, with real problems, with real pain. And that's where Jesus is going. And so Jesus is there and he is teaching these people. Now we know that the setting is morning. It's the start of the day, right? Peter is going to say later on, hey, we've been fishing all night. So now it's the morning and they're cleaning their nets. So there's this crowd gathered around Jesus early in the morning. That's led scholars to believe that Jesus has been ministering all night himself. That it's not only the fishermen in this story who have been working all night, but that Jesus has been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching people. He's been ministering. He's been pouring himself out in his mission, in his calling, right? And there's this crowd of people that are pressed around him early in the morning. And he's there, and he is teaching them. Now, he notices, he sees, we read that he sees these fishing boats, and they're fishermen who are cleaning their nets. They've been out fishing. They haven't caught anything. They've come back in, right? And Jesus knows one of the fishermen. He knows Simon. We've read about Simon in chapter 4. Jesus was in Simon's house, he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, right? So Simon has experienced the goodness and the power of Jesus. Jesus and him have somewhat of a relationship. They know of each other. So Jesus says to Simon, hey, let me get into your boat a little bit. You scoot back, and as you can see in the picture, so I can teach the people, right? I can get that amplification. And so uh, that happens there. That's what's going on, and he teaches them. But that's not the main focus of this story. Is not the content that Jesus was teaching the crowd. It's his interaction 
with Simon. And that's where we're going to focus today. So after teaching them for a while, he turns to Simon and he speaks to Simon and he says, Simon, I want you to take the boats back out to put the nets back out and you're going to catch fish. Again, Jesus is going into the real world for real people with real problems and real issues, right? Simon is a a business owner. He's got a little fleet of boats, him and his buddies. They've been out working. They haven't caught anything. If you're a business owner here, right, you realize the, the, the challenge of, man, I've got to make payroll for all these employees. And if you're going out and you're not catching anything, like this is like a tough situation. It's a stressful situation. Ask any business owner what their biggest stressor is, and one of them is going to be, you know, making payroll every two weeks or whatever. So they're, they're in a place of lack, right? Simon says to Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, you're, you're a carpenter. We we're talking about carpentry. You know, maybe I'd listen to you. Jesus, you're a healer. Maybe we we're talking about healing, you know, somebody with a messed up leg. I'd listen to you. I, I'm a fisherman. We've been out all night. We've tried this. You know, I, I, are, are you serious? And Simon's like, but because you said so, I'll try it, right? We'll, we'll do it because you said so. They let out the nets. They catch an incredible amount of fish. And now we begin to learn a little bit about the nature of what it means to really follow Jesus. So far, we've seen people react to Jesus in a number of ways. We've seen astonishment. Wow, what is this teaching? We've seen anger. You know, when the people got mad at him and they wanted to kill him because he wasn't going to be the king or the leader or the savior in their terms and on their timetable, right? So they got really upset. He didn't just like the people they liked and promote the cause they wanted to promote. So we've seen awe, we've seen anger, we've seen astonishment, we've seen people healing him. But in Peter, we get the first record of someone with what Luke is going to put forward, what Jesus himself is going to put forward is the right and proper response to Jesus. And that is not just awe, That is not anger or rejection. That's not, hey, Jesus, stay here on my terms and my timetable. Be the God that I want you to be to bless my life, right? But Peter is the first that we see disciple that responds to Jesus, responds to the beautiful kingdom by saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to change the course of my life because of who you are, and I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be transformed by your way, right? And we see that Peter is trained and developed in ministry. He joins in Jesus' ministry. He's the first disciple that we see. That's why he's here of all the stories about Jesus making disciples. That's why Luke takes us in chapter 5 to see Peter. And this is to be an example for you and for me to look at Peter and understand, oh, this is what it looks like to respond rightly to Jesus. This is what it looks like to receive his message and follow him. How important is this? We live in a city where stats say something like 85% of our city, if they were pinned down to kind of identify, you know, here's, here's who I am, 
they would say they're Christian, 85%. But when they dug a little deeper, when the researchers dug a little deeper, something like 40 or 45% said that their Christian faith had any real impact on their life, that they practiced their faith in any kind of way. Now think about that. That's like 40% or 45% or however the math works out of our city that would say that Christianity is just a box to be checked on some survey that has no real fruit, no real integration, no real power in our lives. So if you're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, what does it really look like? Man, in our city, it's very confusing. It's very confusing because you have all sorts of people saying, oh, yeah, I'm with Jesus, but then saying it has no bearing on my life. So if you're here and you're trying to figure out, wait, tell me more. I'm trying to figure out about Jesus, right? Our city is a very confusing place to be. And this is a common thing in church history where, where there are people that hold to a belief but don't practice anything. And what we see in the life of Peter is that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is not just a faith statement. It is that. It is about doctrine and theology. But it's also a life to be lived. It's a way to be practiced. It's discipleship to enter into. That's the first lesson that we see, right? He is responding in faith to Jesus' commands. So it's not just about, well, what would I write out on a test to say I believe? No. When Jesus speaks, even though Peter doesn't understand it, even though it's like, well, I already tried that, even though that's where he is, there's a response of faith and obedience. So as we're learning about Jesus and we're learning about his good and beautiful kingdom, right, and we're a community that's focused on discipleship, that's focused on practicing the way of Jesus together here in Dallas, The first place that you could take notes of, oh, this is what it looks like to rightly respond to the kingdom is that of faith and obedience. That we respond to what Jesus leads us to do. We respond to his ways. We are not making Christianity on our own terms, but it is making us. Christianity is not I go to the grocery store and I pick a little of this and a little of that, but I don't like uh, squash, so I'm going to leave that there. Right? No, you can't do that with Jesus. Right? It's on his terms, and he's saying this is where you need to go. And so Peter responds in faith. The second thing that we see Peter experiences as a disciple, right, after he responds in faith, what happens? They experience the power of God. Right? They experience a large number of fish that they catch, so big, doesn't fit in their boat. They've got to call their buddies over. Maybe probably the biggest catch they've ever gotten. They experienced the power of God. So the second thing that we see when we're talking about authentically following Jesus is not just obedience, but it's an experience of the power of God in your life. It's an awareness, like Peter's like, whoa, what is it? It's an awareness that God is at work, that God's power is at work in Peter and his buddies' lives. And for us as followers today, right, we want to have an awareness, to cultivate an awareness of God's power at work in our lives because he is. 
Jesus is at work in, in your life. And most of us, we live day to day, discouraged, defeated, distracted. I ask you, you know, how is Jesus at work? Um, our kids are healthy? Like, we, we don't know, right? I want to encourage you. God is at work in your life. And most of us, we just need our eyes opened a little bit. That's why last week, we talked about learning to share your testimony in three minutes. Learning to share, oh, this is how Jesus has worked in my life. Every time I think back on my testimony, you know what it does? Man, it just makes me awed at the goodness of God and the power of God at work in my life. It gives me a tender heart. And I want to equip you. We want to equip you as a church to be a people, not just when you came to the Lord, if you're a Christian, but if you're a non-believer, Jesus is at work in your life too. And we want to help you see that. And if you've been a believer for a long time, it's not just, oh, back in junior high when I prayed that prayer, man, that was awesome. No, this week, God is at work in your life. And I want to encourage you to be aware. We see that's one of the characteristics of a disciple. I find most people following Jesus, not that God is not at work, but it's that we miss out on realizing, oh, wow. Like, we get distracted, we get discouraged, we get defeated, whatever, by the frustrations of life, but God's at work. And so there's this awareness, right, in Peter's life. Wow, Jesus, oh my goodness. So then what happens? So then Peter realizes and confesses his sin. Wow, (laughs) Jesus, you're amazing. I am a sinful man. Please get away from me. Right, Not because he wants Jesus to go away, but just because he's overwhelmed with his own sinfulness. So third characteristic that we see of a disciple is a realization of our own sin. Conviction of sin. Realizing, wow, you compare me to the guy on my right or the guy on my left, maybe I'm a pretty good guy. You compare me to Jesus and his power and his glory. Oh my goodness. Jesus, I'm a sinful man. So if you're a disciple, there is going to be an ongoing awareness of your own sinfulness, right? Because we're talking about a holy God. And we're talking about normal people like you and me, right? So often we get discouraged when we see our own sin, when it's revealed to us. And so we kind of pull back. Ooh, I don't really want to go there. I'll kind of ignore that that message, you know, close up my ears. Don't know that I want to hear that. But it should just be par for the course, right? Because what we've seen over and over and over again is that sin is not like the secret treasure that God's trying to keep from us. But it's this poison that's destroying us. It's this cancer that's at work in our lives that's eating us alive. We covered that in, in the fingerprints of Jesus, right? And Peter's gaining awareness of, oh man, this sin is at work in my life. Jesus, I'm a sinful man. And we see with the confession of sin, which is a part of our practice of following Jesus, we see that Jesus doesn't send Peter away, doesn't say, yeah, you're so jacked up, get out of here. No, he receives Jesus. Peter's sin doesn't scare Jesus. Peter's sin doesn't be like, well, yeah, I didn't really know that. You go over there. No, Jesus knew, right? And Jesus receives him in his sin. And he says, Peter... There's something more original to you than your sin. Although you are a sinful man, but I've got a destiny. I've got a calling. You're made in the image of God. You 
no longer are going to be a fisher of fish. You're going to be a fisher of men, meaning you're going to come with me. You're going to be one of my disciples. I'm going to call you into my kingdom and my ministry. Come on, there's this calling that Peter finds. So in addition to being a disciple, there's an awareness and confession of sin. There's also an awareness of the grace of God and the calling of God and that we're made in the image of God and God has a purpose and a plan for us. Ooh. So then the next thing that you want to see is that Peter and his buddies, they leave everything behind. This is their business. This is a big, like, crop of fish. I mean, how much could they make off that, right? This is kind of their livelihood. And in their discipleship to Jesus, the way they view their resources is reoriented, right? It's not like, oh, I've got Jesus over here, but I got my money over here. No, you and I both know where your money is. That's where your heart is, right? And what we see over and over and over again in Luke is that authentic discipleship to Jesus impacts the way that we use our resources. Disciples of Jesus consistently give to God, give to his purposes, give to people. It's like a part of life. It's part of the package. It's not at the grocery store. Well, I like those three things, but I don't like vegetables. I'm going to leave that off. No, it's a part of the package, right? And you're going to see that over and over and over again in Luke. So as we're disciples of Jesus, right, it is going to impact our finances. I say this to you in love. It is going to impact the way that you and I view and use and steward our resources, right? It did for them. It doesn't mean that you have to leave your business. It doesn't mean that you have to leave your kind of paycheck behind. But it does mean that discipleship to Jesus is going to alter the way that you use resources. That's why we practice giving the tithe and the offering. It's part of our discipleship to Jesus. Maybe no one's ever told you that this is what disciples do. This is what disciples do. We give to the Lord. We give to people. We give to God's purposes. It's the way that we use our resources. So we see those aspects at work in Peter, right? And then a part of his discipleship is that he is called into ministry. Now, we think disciples are just, you know, or people in ministry have this special calling, heard this voice from God from on high, and that does happen. But every disciple is called into ministry. If you're a disciple of Jesus, God has called you into the ministry of spreading his kingdom everywhere. This is what Jesus does. This is what it means to follow Jesus. You're a minister. You have a ministry. It may be at your workplace. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be in your home. It may be in the children's ministry. It may be in the worship ministry. I don't know what it is, right? But there is a place for you to use your gifts and your talent and your resources and your time to serve Jesus and to bring his good and beautiful kingdom in the spheres of your life and my life. That's what it means to be a disciple. So we see all these characteristics at work in Peter's life that we're to learn from some 2,000 years later and be like, oh, that's what it really means. That's the real deal right there, following Jesus, okay? So we want to do that. Third point, you might be like, oh, Zach, I don't know. This doesn't sound like that great of a deal. There's like confession of sin. There's obedience to things you don't want to do. 
there's giving money, you know, there's going, and now he's going to follow Jesus around. And I read the end of the deal. I heard Peter gets, you know, martyred. I don't know that this is a good thing. Look, I want you to look at this another way. Jesus does not want something from Peter. Like, God is not like, man, let me just kind of rock Peter's boat just to, I don't know, let's just see. Let's just kind of take away. I'm kind of a killjoy. Let me, no, Jesus wants something for Peter. And this is big. This is our point today. In the way of the world, we use people to get stuff. Uh, a number of years ago, I went to Dubai. And I mean, Dubai has all these skyscrapers. I remember driving in my little uh, taxi that I was in, which is actually a Hummer. It's an interesting thing. That's their taxis there. And, and, and um, actually, no, they did have a lot of Hummers. I think this was a different kind been a number of places, but they had these tall skyscrapers that were being built. You can see a picture of them, and I remember driving by and just seeing hundreds of people at work on these skyscrapers, and it didn't look very safe, guys. It looked like boards and ropes, and I was just like, man, these people, it's like a big ant farm. One person falls off, get the next person up the ladder, right? That's the way of the world. We use people to build and get stuff, or I was looking at this book, Shoe Dog, um, the Nike kind of autobiography, right? And I love Nikes. Uh, and, and I was remembering that they got in a lot of trouble for uh, sweatshop practices around the world that kind of boosted their brand. Whether they did that intentionally or not, I don't know. But that's what was going on, right? We use people to get stuff, to build our brand, to build our building, to build our goal, to build our goal right? And that's all our fear, right, of someone, we're some chess piece in someone else's, you know, game, Right? That's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom uses stuff to build people. Think about this. The kingdom uses stuff to build people, not uses people to build stuff. So Jesus' ministry right here to Peter, the way he's ministering to him, is not, Peter, you're a pawn, in my chess game, I'm going to call you out of this deal, and you're going to come, and you're going to die for me. You're going to give everything you have for me. You're going to think you're a sinful wretch, all this stuff. No, that's not it. Do you know what Peter got? Do you know what his end of the deal was in this? Let's just go through what happened. Number one, Peter got relationship with God himself. Wow. Think, think about that. Like, Jesus is not, we don't get Jesus to get some other treasure, right? He's not, man, I'm going get, to get right with God so I get blessed at work. No, Jesus is treasure himself. And Peter gets relationship with God. He gets to spend the next three years of his life, like every day, with Jesus. That's not a bad deal, guys. That's like, wow, that's awesome. Number two, he's going to experience the power of God at work in his life. Not just in this situation, but over and over and over again. He's going to get the joy of seeing God use him to see people healed, restored, saved, delivered, blessed, sent out. He's going to get to live a life of just, wow, God is at work in my life. That's huge. Number three, he's going to get developed in this calling. Up until this point in Peter's life, right, we can tell he's a business guy. He's maybe got a little business going on. But here he's going to find out that God's given him a leadership gift. And this leadership gift is going to get developed in his life. 
So much so that Peter becomes one of the main leaders of the early church, overseeing thousands. I imagine he had no idea when he started to follow Jesus of the good things that God was going to develop him into. We see that Peter is developed in his humility, right? As he follows Jesus, as he engages in ministry, as he goes with Jesus, as he engages in the calling and the mission of Jesus. We see that Peter develops mercy out of experiencing his own failures in ministry. As he steps into what Jesus is doing and he begins to invest in others the way Jesus is investing in him, right? Peter fails a whole lot. And he learns about the mercy of God and he becomes a merciful man. Along the way, as he's ministering, as he's investing in people, he realizes that he's got a lot of racism in his heart. And he gets delivered of his racism. And God uses them to minister to people that he never would have thought he could reach, right? So he's getting developed in his calling. He's going to see that life, that real life is about more than money. Right? So many of us, we live thinking that real life is about money and about stuff and about things and about accumulating stuff and wealth. Right? And it decays our soul. Peter is going to find out, man, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this up. This is crazy. But I'm going to experience now that life is about more than just money. That's a gift. Right? And as he goes into ministry, he's going to see that God provides not only in this initial kind of way when they're short, but God's going to provide for him the rest of his life. So he gets to spend the rest of his life not in anxiety over, are we going to make payroll, but with trust and peace in his heart, experiencing the provision of God. So he's going to get developed, and Jesus is going to use ministry Calling Peter to make disciples, to fish for men. He's going to use ministry, not because Peter is a pawn in some chess game, but to develop Peter into what God had in mind when he created Peter. Peter's going to get to live his destiny. So what are some thoughts for us as we close today? This is a way of the kingdom. Do you know that Jesus wants to invest in you? You are not a chess piece in some heavenly kind of game. Jesus loves you, and he wants to invest in you. And he sees more in you, just like he did with Peter, than you see in yourself. You have an incredible calling. You have things in your life that God wants to develop, ways that he wants to provide for you, ways that he wants to heal you, ways that he wants to help you realize the cancer of sin that's destroying you and your relationships and those around you, and he wants to deliver you from it. Jesus wants to invest in you. And the way in which you experience the investment of Jesus in your life is by beginning to invest in others. Peter experienced all those things as he responded to Jesus and joined with Jesus in ministry. So our hope here in this community as we practice the way of Jesus together, right, is that you would be a part of a, of a, of a family. You'd be a part of a life group. You'd be in community. That's the together part, right? Our hope is for every person in the church to have the opportunity to be a part of a Jesus-centered community, a life group meeting in your kind of area of town. It's one goal. Second goal is that every person in our church would serve in ministry. In the place that God has called you, the place that he's assigned you, that every single one of us 
would be engaged in ministry, in investing in others, in spreading the good and beautiful kingdom. Every single one of us, 100%. This isn't uh, Green Beret Christianity. This is 101. This is normal Christianity, right? And I realize seasons change and there's different things going on. That's fine. But God has a calling on your life to invest in others. You'll find, I believe, there's a card uh, that talks about our serve teams. Just to connect the dots for everyone, uh, the reason why we come together as a church, like the reason why we're a community, one reason is to encounter God together, but two is to kind of band together and use our gifts and our strengths to, to, to express the good and beautiful kingdom here in Dallas. Right? So I want to encourage you, look on that serve team card. Okay? It's in your bulletin. Look on that card. Find a team to be a part of so that you can engage in the ministry. You might be like, well, Zach, my calling is to my office or my calling is to my school or my calling is to my neighborhood. Awesome. Join the house of prayer. Sign up for a slot in the prayer room, right? Prayer is what fuels ministry. So join in that spot and fuel the calling that God's given you to invest in others. I want to invite you to stand as we close. We're going to close like we do every week, saying the Lord's Prayer. And our ministry teams will be available after we uh, say this, after we uh, share this prayer together, available to minister to whoever has need. Uh, I want to share a few words from our prophetic team uh, of just specific people that we believe God wants to minister to today. Uh, If there's someone here, a male uh, with a Superman tattoo on your left arm or left chest, or you just... You're really into Superman, right? You've looked to him, uh, and that's come from a place of not having a father figure. Jesus wants to be your Superman, and God wants to minister to you today. Uh, Someone going through a lot of grief, and the Lord wants to meet you in your grief. Uh, People that struggle with identity and the way that they're made, feeling like they move too slowly, and God wants you to know that he loves you the way that he made you, And he wants you to love him the same way that he loves you. The Lord wants to deliver people from a dark hole of self-hatred. Lastly, someone named Donovan, the Lord's saying, I miss you. So uh, if that's you, if that resonates, our prayer and prophetic team will be available to minister at the end of the service. In fact, you guys can come forward and uh, we'd love to minister to you or any other need that you might have. Let's say the Lord's prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you as you go.